You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, let's get started. Welcome. Welcome to heaven and hell and everything in between. (laughs) This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, let me just ask um, some of you, some of you... uh, say old timers, but people have been around for a while. How many of you remember when I taught this class seven years ago? Yeah, vaguely remember it, yes. Um, yeah, so that's when we first saw it. We had a lot of fun. We met over in the, the foyer uh, next door. Um, we have, um, I, we've revised the class quite a bit. Um, there's uh, lots of things that we'll be looking at that... Uh, uh, we never looked at before, including uh, diving deep into the spiritual world. Um, that's going to be one of our sessions. So, let me begin with um, a vision that John was given, John the Apostle was given by Jesus. And we read this in Revelation chapter 21. John describes what he sees. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these, are, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The conquerors will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in these um, weeks together. And we pray that we're just not learning things, abstract things, doctrinal things, but that you would reveal truths that will shape every moment of our lives. Help us to be so heavenly-minded that we can be of some earthly good. So guide our conversation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, welcome to the class. My name is David Wood. I am one of the pastors here. And for many of you, um, I know many of you are regular attenders to my class. Some of you are brand new, but we're really glad, I'm really glad to, to see you, as well as my dear cyber friends, yes. Uh, The people in the coziness of their home, I get it, but you're missing out on cookies, so that's the thing. Um, This class, Heaven and Hell and Everything in Between, is going to be fun. Um, Because a lot of us have questions about heaven and hell and all sorts of things, ghosts, spirits, all. And and this is a chance, a forum for us to, to talk about things. And so in this class, we're going to be looking at a number of things. Tonight, we're going to be uh, looking at heaven and the meaning of life. Next week, we'll look at hell. The third week, we're going to look at something a little bit awkward. 
if, especially if you're a good Protestant, we're going to be looking at this thing called purgatory. And then we're going to be asking questions. Who am I in the afterlife? Am I a disembodied David? Am I an embodied David? Am I a sleeping David? <laughs> or what, what am I after I die? What happens? Do I have wings? Am I on a cloud eating Philadelphia cream cheese? Is that what heaven is like, going to look like? We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about how things are going to end. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Um, and we'll come up with a timeline. Um, when the world will come, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I still remember when I worked at a bookstore and I saw a book, and it was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I remember seeing that. Um, but we are, we are going to talk about the millennium and all sorts of things. How will things end? We'll be talking about, um, uh, you know, how our vision of the end shapes how we live now. Uh, we're going to be talking about, is God, will we ever have a second chance? Is there a second chance after we die? Those sorts of things. And then we're going to spend a whole session on the spiritual world, looking at what are demons, what are spirits, what are, what are all sorts of questions that we have. So this is going to be really interesting, right? Now, I just want to say this uh, right from the beginning, and I'm going to say this again and again. Some of you have thought about this very deeply, very carefully, and you have very, very strong opinions about some of these things, which is great. That's fine. But what I would ask is a spirit of charity when we're around our tables, recognizing that for some people, um, this might just be a brand new subject, and they're just dipping their toe in the water. And you're like, well, I'll tell you why it's all millennialism or premillennialism. You're going to have your, your, your ideas. But just, you know, just be charitable with, with each other, right? Um, and listen to what, 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 what uh, each person is saying. Is that okay? All in favor say aye. Okay, the eyes are above the nose. Okay, that's good. I say that joke every time. It's funny every time, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the questions of heaven and hell and everything else, I think are, are really important questions. And they deal with a, a, um, an area of theology, of, of the Christian life called eschatology. That's a $10 word, eschatology, which, which is, is basically the study of how things will end. And these are questions that we're going to be looking at that I think we really should care deeply about. Because how things end ought to shape how we live now. Right? How things end, how things are going to play out ought to shape how we're now. Now we know that. We know that because, uh, well, I'll tell you, that my friends online, they know that. They're like, I know how this class is going to end. It's going to be snowing. And that's going to shape my decision to stay home tonight. Am I right? Yeah, I know. I know. With the rest of you, the end, you're like, yes, but the snow doesn't come till 1030. Plenty of time to get home. All right. So the how we end shapes how we live in the here and the now. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I took my bicycle home, because I biked here this morning. I'm like, I don't think I want to bike home in this yet. So the questions we're going to be looking at in this class touch on every aspect of our lives. The decisions we make, 
the way we live. Uh, and I think exploring heaven and hell and everything in between has an immediate application to how we live day to day. These questions of heaven and hell are of crucial importance. Um, and, and I think they're so important that it's, it's, it's ridiculous for a person not to take them into consideration or to think about them carefully. Now, you know this, you're here, so you're, you are taking the question seriously. But what I'd like to ask you, and now I'm not going to give you a long time to do this. Uh, these are online, you can put this on the chat. Um, but around your table, I'm just going to give you a few minutes, and I want to ask you this question. What are the biggest questions you're bringing to the table? What are the burning questions you really hope to get answered in this class? Does that sound good? So just take a moment. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time, so just go around the table. Um, listen to each other just very briefly. What are the key questions that you're bringing to this class? Okay, I'm just going to pause this. Okay, so let me hear some of the questions. Just fire, fire them out. Yeah, where do we go when we die in the middle time between the time we die and Jesus' return? Yeah, how does that work? How do the books and the throne and all that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Who am I after I die? Yeah. Well, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I'd like to get a definition, okay, well, what's paradise compared to heaven? Well, good question. When Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, is he meaning heaven? What does he mean today? Or purgatory? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. Yeah, what else? Yeah. So the dead will rise grave. So are we asleep? Or, yeah. <laughs> oh, online, man, we got some uh, really good ones. You know, it will, if somebody's in a coma, will God do whatever he can to help that person even meet, meet them in the coma because they can't respond, but somehow have a chance to respond to the grace of Jesus while they're unconscious? So that's a good question. Yeah. Oh, what about those who have never heard? What happens to them? That's a very good question. What will we do if we're just playing a harp on a cloud? That sounds a lot like hell to me. <laughs> All right. Again, let's, let's play this song one more time. <laughs> Anything else? Oh, yeah, yes. You asked me that question once. Yeah, you did. That's right. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I deferred it. Yeah, so is, is, can, can God, can Jesus see us, can see, see or see those who are in hell? And what's, what's that all about? Um, are, are we the same height in heaven? How old will we be in heaven? Um, what jobs will we have in heaven? Will there be books in heaven? Will there be maple syrup in heaven? No, that's the one I added, right? Yeah. Is St. Peter really waiting at the gates? What about ghosts? 
Well, aren't you curious about them? I'm curious about them. What are ghosts? Are ghosts real? Or is this just in movies? Are there angels? Yeah. We're going to recognize people. Will I have hair? Will I, how old will I be? Yeah. Okay, all those questions will be fully answered. Um, <laughs> these are really good questions. Now, now, oh yes. Yes, when you die, what happens to your soul? Does your soul go down? And if so, what is your soul? What is that? And how does that differ from, let's say, your mind and your spirit and your body? What's that? Is there a soul? Yeah. And is a soul eternal? Right. Petro, you got all the, you're taking notes of all these questions? Yeah, Petro's going to be covering some of those questions. <laughs> I'm so glad he's taking, taking those, yeah. Um, yeah, so one of the uh, books that we're using, that I'm using, is this book by uh, Jerry Walls, and it's called Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory, A Protestant View of the Cosmic Drama. It's super readable, and it's really good. And if you're interested in this book, if you want to read something a little meatier as, as you're going through the class, let me know, and I'll order some for you. I can get them in, and then I'll just, we can, I'll just tell you what they cost, and you can pay for them next week. Uh, but just let me know, and I'll order some in. Sound good? All right, well, um, let's carry on. Can you explain reincarnation? Oh, yeah, see there? We got lots of great questions, yeah. Okay, well, this idea, the ideas of heaven and hell have preoccupied um, Western thinking for much of history. Now, these questions are actually are huge questions that people have been talking about and wrestling with until modern times, which is interesting. It is. We, we are living in interesting times because in our modern day, we, we, some of these concerns, some of this talk about heaven and hell has been eclipsed in our thinking. I think that, um, oh, that's your, that's like a, I hear something. <laughs> I think uh, one of the characteristics of our modern world, and you've heard me talk about this before, one of the characteristics of our modern world is the modern world um, keeps us living a life with our heads down. That's something, there's something about the modern world that, that ties us to the immediate. And we're just thinking about what's going on today, what's going on tomorrow, maybe what's next year. We don't think about big questions. We don't think about history. We don't think about where we've come from or where we're going. Because there's something about the modern world which is all about where things are at now and where things are going for the immediate future, but not long-term future. And so as a result, I think a lot of people stop looking up and stop wondering about things that people throughout time have, 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 have questioned and wrestled with. You contrast this to John Wesley, the 18th century um, revivalist, preacher, writer, thinker. This is what John Wesley wrote. He says, To candid, reasonable men, I am not afraid to lay open what has been my inmost thoughts of my heart. I have thought I am a creature of a day, 
passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf, till a few moments hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libra, a man of one book. That's powerful. But again, times have changed from the time of John. And I think in some ways, we're seeing the disappearance of heaven and hell. In some ways, I think of two, two stories in contrast. One is a story of, uh, of uh, Augustine, who lived in the 4th century, and, and his mom. Her name's Monica. As Monica was dying, she and her son spoke about heaven. As their discussion continued, as they were preparing for a sea voyage, Augustine wrote that as he and his mom talked about heaven, before they knew it, they were, quote, longing for it and straining for it with all the strength of our hearts. For one fleeting instance, we reached out and touched it. That's beautiful. Now, you fast forward to, uh, well, the modern day, but 1989, we encountered a Harvard theologian who told his class, as a theologian, who told his class there's no reason to believe in life beyond the grave. And so he wrote, quote, we are now in a position to dispose rather quickly of such symbols of the last judgment, heaven and hell. And so you get a contrast. You get a contrast between a guy like John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and many people love the hymn Amazing Grace, because it tells a story, you know. Um, I'm not going to say the line that most people know when we've been there 10,000 years, because Newton didn't write that. Uh, but he does say this. He says, um, The earth will soon dissolve as snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. Right? That's this picture. The Lord has, has, has promised good to me. And he's led me through this long journey. So you get this, uh, you know, this picture of, of where's my life heading and ending. And you contrast this with a show, a show that I watched recently. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, we watched it, but it was, it was kind of depressing. Right? And uh, the show is called um, Afterlife. It's a comedy, actually, with Ricky Gervais. Who's a, who's a well-known atheist. And in the whole, the whole show, I think there's like three seasons, uh, the whole show, uh, he's making the point that there is no afterlife. There's nothing after you die. And the whole show, all three seasons, is trying to make a case for the meaning of life, even though we're just going to die and that's it. And he's making a case for nihilism in some ways. <laughs> And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be a comedy, and there was funny parts, but it was, uh, it, was, it was quite depressing. So how are we to think about these important issues? 
Heaven, is it passé? Was John Lennon right? Imagine there's no heaven, right? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in this class. So I want to begin by looking at heaven. So when I say the word heaven, what are some words that come to mind? Just shut them out. Peace. Clouds. Gold. Light. Temple. Crowded. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> What's that? A garden. Oh, very good. Yeah. Music. Palace. No more pain. God's home. Table for everyone, like a banqueting table, right? Yeah. Wow, it was good. I find it interesting, 94% of Americans, Americans, I'm sure it's about the same as in Canada, still believe in heaven. 70% think that they have a good shot getting there. <laughs> but, but it is confusing to see that a good percentage of people who believe in heaven do not believe in God, but believe in heaven. And the prevailing view is that no matter what one's religion is, even if you have a religion, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And so this one, now I don't pretend to know any of his music. I hear he's quite disgraced right now, but there's a fellow named P. Diddy. Um, and when Princess Diana died, when Princess Diana died, um, he encouraged his audience to raise their faces to heaven and to tell Diana how much they missed her. Confident that she was up there listening. At our church, I've done many a funeral. And I've seen very interesting things in funerals. And many times in a funeral, um, I've seen guys who crack open a bottle of scotch, pour a dram and say, all right, Jim, this is for you. I know you're up there having a few drinks yourself, looking down. Well, this is right back at you, Jim. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, many times in, in, in funerals. And the idea is that, you know, where's, 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 where's Bob? Wow, Bob. <laughs> he's just having a great old time, looking down, and, 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 he's, and he's watching you. It's, what's more difficult is to determine is what is meant by the word heaven. In our culture today, heaven is, again, it's a nebulous place. Maybe where celebrities who died in 2023 go. Um, there's some movies that have talked about heaven. Some shows. What are some shows that talk about heaven? Do you know? Highway to Heaven? Yeah, that's an older one. Yeah, what else? The Good Place. Oh, yeah, I watched that one. Yeah, there's a lot on heaven and hell and purgatory, actually. It's a, it's a clever show, and then it kind of ran out of material at the end. Lucifer, yeah. Yeah, that would be another show. So there are some, some out there. Um, there's lots of documentaries, more and more documentaries, um, that are coming out on, on afterlife experience and trying to, to um, determine through through science, the idea of our, our continuing consciousness. And so, um, Barry and, uh, and Anne uh, 
gave me a nice gift this, uh, this week. Uh, the Time magazine last month came out, Heaven and the Afterlife. What awaits us? Stories from the beyond. And there's a whole section on, on science and how science is showing that there is this thing called uh, the afterlife and by, by tracing our brain activity. So there is this longing still. There is this longing. And, and, and it expresses itself interestingly because a lot, we live in a world that a lot of people have stopped believing in God and yet there's still this longing for eternal life. Right? So let me tell you about this one fellow that I was just, just read about today. His name is Brian Johnson. And he has developed, devoted millions of dollars to developing life extension system that he claims will give him the heart and bone health of a much younger man. Yeah. So this is what it says. Um, this fellow, Brian Johnson, is a centimillionaire. What's that? A hundred million? Sounds right. Uh, he's a tech entrepreneur, has spent most of the last three years in pursuit of a singular goal. Don't die. During that time, he has spent more than $4 million developing a life extension system called Blueprint, in which he outsources every decision involving his body to a team of doctors who use data to develop a strict health regimen and reduce what Johnson who's 46 years old, refers to as his biological age. This system includes downing 111 pills every day, wearing a baseball cap that shoots red light into his scalp, collecting his own stool samples, and sleeping with a tiny jetpack attached to a part of his body uh, <laughs> to monitor his nighttime. Okay, yeah, should, should, probably re should probably read ahead before I start reading it. <laughs> I, I skimmed over that part. <laughs> hey, this is Brian Johnson. <laughs> How do I edit this part out? <laughs> okay. Johnson thinks that any act that accelerates eating, eating a cookie, getting less than eight hours is considered an act of violence. He believes that death is optional. He plans never to do it. So if you're interested in his regimen, I have it up here afterwards. <laughs> Good luck. Well, I mean, I, I, I know, like, there's another guy named Ray Kurzweil, who is Google, uh, chief engineer at Google, who does, has a similar regimen because he wants to make sure that his body's health enough, healthy enough for when technology comes on the scene that will allow him to download his brain or upload his brain into a computer so that he can live forever. This guy's a, an engineer at Google, so it's not like, yeah. Well, there's, yeah. Yeah, and so Ted Williams, who was a former baseball player, did, did that. Yeah, where his family did it. So these are attempts to live forever. Now, hell, on the other hand, hell gets less press. <laughs> um, what are some words that come to mind when you think of hell? Fire. Fire. Gnashing of teeth. The party. That's where the party's at. According to A.C. Bon Scott and all those guys, yeah. Death. Evil. Darkness. Isolation. Burning. 
crying, pain, cold, cold, yeah. It's interesting, yeah, it's interesting. The, the, the um, one guy, Dante, Dante's uh, Inferno, the further down into hell you go, the further down you go, the darker and colder it gets. Interesting. Anyhow, well, hell is often, if people do talk about hell, they talk about, it's a description of our world today. So somebody says, you want to know what hell is? Look around, look at our world, look at the mess that it's in. And to, to a lot of people, hell is, is simply that. It's this unspeakable suffering uh, that people experience. It's what people experience in life before we finally get to go to heaven. But even Christians, the idea of hell, there's a lot of, it's hotly debated. Um, is it real? Is it literal? Is it empty? Is there, is there really a lake of fire? Is it a metaphor? Is it eternal conscious torment? Is, is it where we are annihilated? Are we there just for a while? Is it just for real? Like Hitler, Stalin, Nickelback, you know, some of those things, right? I mean, there's a guy, <laughs> there's a guy named Rob Bell. I don't know if you remember Rob Bell. Rob Bell was, uh, Quite a, quite a popular evangelical thinker, yeah? And he wrote a book, um, oh, about just over 10 years ago, called Love Wins. He says, yeah, there may be hell, but it's empty. It is empty. So there's lots of debate over that. So we'll, we'll be talking about that more next week. And then there's a the question of purgatory. Now, I can hear some of you thinking, all right, what's David bringing up an old fashion medieval doctrine from the Catholic Church that we Protestants should know better than to talk about. We knew there was something wrong with David. All right. <laughs> now, you may be surprised to know that there are a number of Protestants who say there's a logic to purgatory. Not the Catholic understanding of purgatory, but a different understanding of purgatory. And if we could understand the logic of purgatory, it would actually help us understand heaven and hell better. And two guys that come to mind who actually think about purgatory a little bit, who are they? Two well-known Christian thinkers and writers. No? C.S. Lewis? Yeah, he, he reflects on it. Somebody out, Dallas Willard, if you know who Dallas Willard is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's quite, quite a well-known uh, thinker and quite writer. Anyhow, we're going to be talking about that in two weeks, and that's going to be fun, too. That'll be a fun week. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to be looking at a lot of questions. Tonight, where do we start? Where do we start? Um, well, I think we begin in a posture of humility and wonder. The, the thing is... We are dealing with the mysterious. And everything about being an evangelical, which I am, I'm a 
card-carrying evangelical. Um, everything about evangelicalism is a desire to know something to control it <laughs> and, and to, to figure something out. But I, I think when it comes to these, these, um, these great mysteries, we have to have open hands with them. Because we are dealing with, with the great mysteries of eternity. This is not knowledge that you and I can master, but it's a mystery that we can embrace. And we need to recognize that. Remember that we're, we're treading on holy ground here. And uh, one of my favorite uh, thinkers on heaven and hell and things is a 17th century thinker who I read regularly, and his name is Richard Baxter, the pastor uh, up in a place called Kidderminster. And he wrote this book, and it's a book that I come back to again and again. It's called The Saints' Everlasting Rest. Has anyone ever read that book here? David? No? Anybody read that online? No? Okay, it's worth reading. It's worth reading. This is what uh, Baxter writes. He says, quote, But alas, how little, how little, uh, how little I know of what I'm about to speak. Shall I speak before I know? But if I stay till I clearly know, I shall not come again to speak. Therefore, I will speak while I may. That very little, that very little which I do know of, rather than being silent. So he says, I want to speak on the little bit I know about heaven. And then he writes 800,000 words. <laughs> There's many ways we can start our conversation about heaven tonight. Uh, where I'd like to start is maybe a place that's a little unusual. I want to talk about happiness, right? So we're going to talk about heaven I want to begin by talking about happiness. Would you agree that happiness is something that everyone wants? Yeah? Everybody wants to be happy. Uh, happiness is something that every human being instinctively longs for. If I asked you, do you want to be happy? Most people say, yeah, of course. It's a common refrain in movies. You know, usually if there's a breakup and the guy will look into the girl's eyes, he goes, you deserve so much more. You deserve to be happy, right? So it's a simple question. But a lot of ink has been spilled over what does it mean? How can we be happy? When one of my kids were in high school, on the wall, it was a strange thing. It was this poster on the wall. And you know what it said on the wall? It said it had these words. In my kid's high school classroom, it says, we have the right to be happy. I thought, well, that's an interesting statement. We, it's, it's a right to be happy. So, if I ask you this question then, okay, you want to be happy. Why do you want to be happy? How would you answer that? It's the best that you can be, is to be happy? Okay. What else? It's, so it's better than being sad. Makes us feel better. Okay. And that's a good thing? Yeah? Takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry? It's, 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 it's positivity. 
It's one of those things that's just sort of like, if I ask you, why do you want to be happy? You'd be like, it's kind of self-evident. Who doesn't want to be happy, right? Yeah, it's human nature. Okay, so let's ask another question. What makes a human being happy? Okay. Having enough money in your pocket to do whatever you want, to buy whatever you want, then you're a happy man. Okay. What else? The cookies, when you come in, those will make you happy. Good relationships, those will make you happy. Is it, is it pleasure? Is it power? Is it money? Is it peace of mind? Is it satisfaction? Is it excellence of character? Is it making a difference in the world? Is it wealth? What makes one happy? But here's another question. Is happiness even possible? Yeah, for a while, maybe it's temporary. Some people would say happiness is an illusion. It's just a desire that we have, but honestly, we can never really fully achieve it. As, as uh, Thomas Hobbes once said, he says, what is life? Life is, is nasty, brutish, and short. What, is, what are human beings? Well, it's just a big war of all against all. But this raises an uncomfortable question. If, if happiness is elusive, but everybody has this deep desire to be happy, then is not life just absurd? If everybody's born with a desire to be happy, but we can never be happy? That just seems a little weird, right? Same, same applies to love. And love is another word that's, that's a, a little bit elusive. It's a theme that shows up everywhere. You cannot watch a Hallmark without the theme of love coming up, right? Why do we seek love? Why do we sing about love? Again, people say, well, self-evident. Of course you want to love. Everybody wants to love. It's part of being human. Who doesn't want to love and be loved? And so we can say, well, is there a connection between our longing for love and our longing for happiness? Could it be that when we love and are loved, only then can we be truly happy? Hmm. Maybe that's a connection. But then we run into the problem, though. What if love is just as elusive as happiness? So we're, we're created to love, and yet we'll never find true love. And so we face a disturbing possibility. If we desire happiness but can't find it, if we desire to love and be loved but it's impossible to find, then does this not make our lives tragic? Is life not absurd? Yeah. Now these are puzzling thoughts, and I thought I'd use them as a backdrop as we look at heaven. And as we look at heaven, I want you to keep in mind those two ideas of happiness and love. We're going to come back to them. So what does the Bible teach us about heaven? Now, this is something we're going to come back to again and again and again over the weeks ahead. But what I'd like to do is give you an almost David Letterman top 10 list. I, I, just, I just have top nine. And some of you younger guys are like, who's David Letterman? Okay. Um, that's okay. 
It's like a top 10 list, but we're going to nine. I got nine truths about heaven. And again, lots of the things we're going to touch on in the weeks ahead. What are the top nine things that uh, we can know about heaven? Number one is this. Heaven holds out the promise that the human story may come to a happy ending. No, it's just mandatory, but I will be quoting Lord of the Rings quite often. It's just, just it's, it's what I do. It's Tolkien and Lewis, I have to. So, in uh, Lord of the Rings, um, questions asked to Frodo, the Hobbit, have you thought of an ending to the story? Yes, several, they're all dark and unpleasant. Oh, that won't do, said Bilbo. Books ought to have good endings. How would this do? And they all settled down and they lived happily ever after. Well, it would do well if it ever comes to that. Where will they live? That's what I wonder, said Sam. There's another line in, um, in um, Lord of the Rings that, uh, that I've, I've quoted before, but it's when, when um, the wizard Gandalf, he dies. And then um, one of the characters, Sam, who's uh, friends with Frodo, th thinks that Gandalf is dead. And then he encounters Gandalf, because Gandalf doesn't stay dead. He comes back to life. And uh, Sam says, I, I thought you were dead. And Gandalf said, I thought I was dead too. <laughs> and then Sam has a great line. He says, wow, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And that's what heaven, heaven tells us that everything sad is going to come untrue. And heaven is the end of the story in many ways. And it actually, knowing the end of the story helps us make sense of the story that we're, we're in. Richard Baxter says the whole motion of the world is all heading towards heaven. And, uh, and he says, you know, what is he? I, I think he goes, I wrote this down the other day. He says, consider not to die. If you don't die, that means you'll never be happy. In Revelation 22, 13, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And it's Jesus who gives shape to the story. And our view of the Alpha will determine the Omega. The end is shaped by the beginning. The end is shaped by what happens first. Now, when you read in the Bible about the end, you have to realize the end, and when people like to talk about end times and things like that, but the word end in the Bible is not like the end of a movie or something like that. The word end is the word um, telos. It's, it's the destiny. It's where Everything, our lives, everything is heading to this fulfillment, this, this purpose, right? You've heard me talk about this word telos before. It means destiny. It's not just the end. It means the fulfillment of things. So the, the, the telos of an acorn is what? They become an oak tree, right? The telos of the Toronto Maple Leafs is to miss the playoffs, right? <laughs> Right, Andrew? We know that. We know that too well, right? And so we understand suffering. We do. We do. <laughs> what this means is that everything finds its meaning and its purpose in Jesus. Everything's moving towards the one who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
And the implications are staggering. That means history does, is not just going to go on forever. That the human story has an author, a director. And he's able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever come up with on our own. And I think one of the characteristics, and you know, I've spent too much time in history, but one of the characteristics of, of, of people throughout the ages, especially within Christianity, is they knew how to die well. We live in a world where we do everything we can to hold off. Just another, you know, what is it? Do not go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. We do not want to go into the dark because we, we, we want to, because we don't know how to die. And if this is true, if what Baxter and, and what Scripture is teaching us is true, then our hearts should be longing. Our hearts should be longing. Now, the other thing that Scripture teaches us is that, is that the author of this story that we're living in is the one who loves you, and he loves me. It's in his very nature. God is love. And so God, what Scripture teaches us, what the Bible teaches us about heaven, is God is not some force that kicks things off and then steps back. C.S. Lewis says God is not a static thing. He's, he's a dynamic, pulsa pulsating activity, a life, almost a drama. He says almost, if you would not think me irreverent, is a kind of dance. In divine, Dante's, uh, Dante's work, what's Dante's work called? Dante's Divine Comedy. How many of you read divine, Dante's Divine Comedy? Yeah. Is it funny? So how is it a comedy? Is it? It's a comedy, though. Do, what is a comedy? Do you know? A comedy is a story that ends well. That's what the original meaning of a comedy is. It's a story that ends well. So, heaven, first off, holds a promise that the human story will come to a happy ending. Secondly, heaven will answer deepest longings for happiness and satisfaction. And I love the way Revelation describes it. It describes it in three ways. Talks about thirst, hunger, and sexual desire. That's the language that it uses. First, God will satisfy our thirst. To him who is thirsty, I give the drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So, hunger, satisfying our hunger. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Heaven satisfies our deepest hungers. But there's also this picture almost of, of this, of, of fulfilling our, our deepest, almost sexual desire. In the sense that the picture of heaven that we're given is like a wedding. The bridegroom is in this wedding is God himself. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
So think of an engaged couple who finally embrace on their wedding night in the consummation of love. And one of the questions that maybe we'll come back to is, <laughs> one of the questions that's often asked, more so by men than women, but is there sex in heaven? Well, let's just move on. <laughs> you say, whoa, 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 hang on, weren't you going to say something? Yeah. Well, we do know this, that whatever is in heaven, whatever we experience, and the fulfillment of it all is going to be better than anything we've ever experienced. So if there is no sex in heaven, it's okay. We're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> Though I do know a theologian, and I look for them, who makes a case for, the, for there being sex in heaven. So, okay. <laughs> we'll come back. We, we will come back to that. Number three, heaven involves a renewal of heaven and earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. The holy city comes down out of heaven. Now, most people think that when we die, what happens? We go up to heaven. We go up to heaven. Why? Why do we go up to heaven? Jesus ascended too, and also historically, in, in, in various philosophies, that the higher up you go, the more perfect things are. So we go up to heaven. We sing the old hymn, I'll fly away, oh glory, right? We, we go up. But here, we get not so much of a, an escape as a renewal. Now we're going to chat more about this. But uh, some people say, what happens when we die? When we die, what happens? Is there an intermediate stage between our death and when we have resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth? And if so, what does that look like? Is it just our soul? Is it, are we spirits? What does that mean? Are we still conscious when we die? Or do when we die, do we step out of time? And so right away, we're in the presence of um, before the throne and we have a resurrected body. Do we experience what a guy, a theologian says, N.T. Wright says, do we experience life after death and then life after life after death? Are there two stages? That's a big question, isn't it? Now again, I've invited somebody way smarter than me to talk about some of these things in a few weeks. <laughs> At this stage, what I'm trying to say is that God's story of salvation is much larger, more complex than dying and going to heaven. We see the new heavens, the new earth. And, and we also see in the book of Romans that God is renewing all of creation. So what does that mean? And you're probably like, uh, okay, let me bring it down. What does that mean for your pets? Nobody asked that question. Is fluffy in heaven, right? Some of you, I know Pastor Mark would be like, there are no cats in heaven. Um, <laughs> 
And that's a, we want our pets in heaven, but we don't want scorpions in heaven. Um, <laughs> mosquitoes. So why do we, we talk about going to heaven, floating around with wings? But the reality is, is God, his, his creation is much more earthy than we realize. It's very earthy. God is a God that makes stuff. God creates stuff. And so we need to see that. Like, one of the things that comes up in the Bible is that God is a God who's earthy. He makes stuff. He's not all spiritual. And, uh, and some of the depictions we get of Jesus, just like, uh, you know, he's just kind of floating along. It's so not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is very earthy. And God is a God who makes stuff. And, he, and, our, and, and our bodies matter. We don't want to, this idea of escaping our bodies and floating away is a Greek idea. It's not a Christian idea. So we'll talk about that. But it's so much more than we realize. The other thing, the fourth truth that comes out about heaven is it's the death of death. We read that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Our man, Richard Baxter, how's he put it? Nor is there such a thing as a pale face, a languid body, feeble joints, unable infancy, decrepit age, peccant humors, dolorous sickness, griping fears, consuming cares, nor whatsoever deserves the, deserves the name of evil. In, indeed, a gale of groans and sighs, a stream of tears accompanied us to the very gates, and there bid us farewell forever. Isn't that a great line? Groans and sighs, a stream of tears will stay with us right to the gates, and then we'll say farewell forever. Ah, oh, come on. That's good. The text affirms that our lives here on earth will be full of pain, death, Tears, mourning. And if death had the final word, then our lives would not be a comedy. They would be a tragedy. My man Frederick Beekner puts it this way. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, that wells up from the rock-bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. Come on. The other thing you see at the end of the Bible, and this is we got to pay attention to this. You get to the end of the Bible, what do you expect? Oh, the story's over. You know, the end. The curtain's going to come down. But what you find at the end is you find what? A beginning. A beginning that's going to go on forever. How does C.S. Lewis? I See, I have to quote C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, what are our lives? Our lives here are like a cover page, are like the front page of a book that go forever with each chapter getting better than the chapter before. Oh, whatever. And in, in heaven is a union of truth, beauty, and goodness. 
Heaven will preserve and celebrate, number seven, the best of human culture. And that's really important. If we're all blending together, sitting on some cloud, playing the same music on the harp, that's going to be brutal. But what, what do we see in the book of Revelation is we see every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so what this means is that in, in, in heaven, at least we're going to have Shalom Ball, have you ever had those, you know? Huh? Right? They're so good. There's going to be Shalom Ball, there's going to be maple syrup, there's going to be... Um, the least won't be there because that's, it's more like hell, right? So, uh, yeah. Chocolate, there's going to be chocolate. What are the good things? Bruce Springsteen? Music? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully not before we see him in concert this year, yes. So it'll preserve the best in human culture. And so that's why a lot of people, I think there's going to be books, paintings, poems, buildings, scientific discoveries, novels, plays, movies, work, rest, play, education, politics, art, worship, all the things that make life so beautiful. Why would it be absent? So I think you get these two pictures in the book, in, in, in the Bible. You get two pictures. One is just beholding the face of God. This, what is sometimes called the beatific vision. Just beholding the glory of God. But there's also this picture of, 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 of being fully alive and being active. So we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Number eight, we will finally be... And I heard a, a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I love that word, with. It's a beautiful preposition. It means that you and I will never be alone, that we're made for community and relationship, that we'll live in perfect intimacy with God. Yeah. And finally, number nine, if these things are all true, and I think they are, I know they are, then we ought to experience glimpses of eternity in this life of ours. Now, you know what I'm talking about. It's those moments where you see something or you hear something and your heart soars. Maybe it's a sunrise. Maybe it's a sunset. Like, I'll say that for the most part, if, uh, if, somebody's, if somebody's leading worship at our, at our church um, and they're leading worship, generally they should not look at me for encouragement. Because it's not that, it's just, it doesn't, the language of my heart is usually not music. It's usually something else. But every now and then we'll sing a song. And there'll be something about that song that brings up a sense of wonder. And it stirs my imagination. And I'm overwhelmed. Now, I'm not the most emotional guy. 
You can ask my wife about that. I'm not the, I'm not the most emotionally attuned person. Um, but there's moments where I get a picture of the whole story of my life and just spending eternity in the presence of Jesus. And I am overwhelmed by that. We sing Rock of Ages. You know, uh, as the last line goes, he goes, when I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, when as I sail through tracks unknown and see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, or something like that. It's just this picture of, 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 of life and life with God. And, and you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Or uh, like there's these moments where your hearts are just alive. And I think these are little signposts, little tastes of heaven. And part of the Christian life is for you and I to pay attention for those and not to go through life with our head down scrolling and miss out on these things. Because they actually happen more often than we realize if we, if we, if we pay attention. And so we have this experience um, we have this experience, and, and I, yeah, I've had them, and I try to pay attention to this. What captures your imagination? I've been talking for a while, so what, what, what captures your imagination? What stirs your heart? Yeah. When you see a baptism and you see people give their testimony, absolutely. Yeah, and you just see where they've come from, right? And where they are now, and then they're going under, and the joy of them coming up, oh, yeah. How about you guys? What do you guys see online? Birth of a baby, is that? Yeah. You, I remember Eugene Peterson says, you cannot watch a baby be born and remain an atheist. Because there's a wonder to it. Baptisms, anything else? When the Habs beat the Leafs. When the Habs beat the Leafs. <laughs> I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> it's very rare experiences, yes. Oh, singing in a multiple mass choir, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it lifts up your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. And some of you, like, worship, and I see you worshiping, and you're just drawn right in. Yeah. When you're standing on top of a mountain and you see and see God's creation, yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine being up there yesterday up on Dog Mountain on Seymour and just watching the sunset? Like, yeah. So I mean these are these are signposts, and so we need to we need to pay attention to this. This sense of wonder. And that and you know what you feel? What you often feel is 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 a heartache. And you almost feel this, this, this homesickness. Have, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a homesickness. It's I'm longing for something that I haven't actually been to yet. You know, I hear a song that I actually haven't heard. I'm longing for a country that I haven't visited. Right? So there's huge implications to all this. 
And what we'll talk about next week is, is that our life, our, how we live our life matters. If all this is true, how we live our life matters. That God will make all things right. And there are warnings in the New Testament. We'll talk about this next week. The other thing is that our world is moving towards renewed cosmos, random chaos. And it's easy to look at the news and get overwhelmed and say, the way things are, the, hell, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, it's just it's chaos. It's just, but we need to remember what Psalm 2 teaches us, right? We talked about this last week. Is Psalm 2 is that the Lord is on his throne. And he is in control. Three, heaven is much fuller and greater than we could ever imagine. I love C.S. Lewis, he describes in, in heaven, um, strawberries. And he says, these strawberries that you ate in heaven, he goes, they made the best strawberries that you ever experienced on earth taste like wood. <laughs> That's how rich these strawberries are, right? And so we need to recognize the goodness of things in this world. Not just spiritual things, but physical things. Eating can be a spiritual experience. What does Paul say? He says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And you see how fast food just undermines God's good gifts. It does. Big juicy hamburger, slowly cooked and eaten, yes. We need to allow the end to shape the now. We need to allow the end to shape the now. And to ask ourselves the question over and over again, is what I was saying on Sunday, is to ask ourselves the question, where, which way is my life heading? And I find <laughs> the older I get, the more, and I've seen, I saw people do this before me, when they were getting on, is I, I, I start to long for this. I'm starting to long for eternity. And so number six, we need to make good choices. How we live matters. We need the best use of the time that we've been given us, that has been given us. Number seven is this: recognize that you can make it. Don't give up. <laughs> I mean, the theme of the book of Revelation is what? Don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. Make those who make it to the end. Make it to the end. Right? Because there's going to be challenges along the way. And number eight, if the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a bedrock of all reality, then love is at the very heart of the meaning of life. Love is at the center of all reality. And the world, we see the world as a comedy, not a tragedy. And heaven means that God is found. He will live with them and they will be his people. Glory is found. There's no need for the sun and the moon, not because there's something wrong with the sun and the moon. It's just because the glory of God fills everything. His face is there. We will see his face. No longer will anything be cursed, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads, and they will reign forever and ever. And you know, Paul describes this as a certain hope. Not as, hey, I kind of hope it works out. He says, no, it's a certain hope. And we know it's a certain hope because of Jesus. Because of the resurrection. And because of the ascension. We know, what, what does Jesus say? He says, in my Father's house 
are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So the end shapes the now. This is quite the picture that we're given. And this is not some individualist hope. It's not just about me. It's about us. It's about how we, how we see our neighbor. If love is the foundation of this world, then how I treat my neighbor matters. If, if, if I'm going to spend eternity. <laughs> so there's this one guy. So one of my favorite writers is um, C, um, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, of course you know that. Uh, John Newton from the 18th century. Now, John Newton was a former slater, uh, a person who understood grace very much because he had a horrible background, horrible life, and God rescued him. And so Newton, in the 18th century, he was known as the letter writer par excellence. He, anybody who's anybody wrote to Newton for spiritual advice. And one guy, I shared this before, one guy writes to Newton and he says, you know what, I'm going to have a big debate over this one theological issue with this adversary of mine. How should I do this guy? Because this guy was a Calvinist and Newton was kind of a, a moderate Calvinist as a theological position. So he says, Newton, how should I handle this guy? And Newton says, all right, you want to know how to handle him? This is what you do. First thing, first thing you got to do, you got to pray for him. And you have to love him. He says, because you guys may disagree on all this stuff. He goes, but like it or not, you're going to spend eternity with each other. So you may as well start getting along now. Right? And that's the thing. Like, how we see the end really does shape how we love now. People say, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. To be heavenly minded, that's the only way we can be of any earthly good. And we'll be talking about that in the weeks ahead. So, I'm going to leave you with this question tonight. Actually, yeah, I'm going to have you talk, or talk among yourselves just for a few minutes. We just got a couple minutes at the end. We actually have a few minutes. Let me ask you this question. What would change in your life if you lived with your eyes fixed on heaven? What would practically change if you cultivated a vision for heaven? Okay, I'm just going to give you two minutes to do this, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up, okay? So, okay, so just as we, uh, as we wrap up tonight, I want to encourage you during the week is to think about these things. To every day, what, what, does, what does the psalmist teach us in Psalm 90? He says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It is good to number our days. And it gives us a sense of gratitude, because every day is a gift. But it also helps us to realize that our time here is short. It's not that long. For some, it's shorter than others. But we do know, because of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, that the last thing we experience, the worst thing we experience, will not be the last thing. The very last thing will be a new beginning. Will be now. The problem is the challenge is. I'll say this for myself. The challenge is is for me to believe here what I say here. 
Because we're all, yes, we're all going to live. No, if you start getting it here, if I start getting it here, that's a game changer. Because what happens if you know that not, the worst thing that you can experience is not be the last thing, but you know that it's eternal life with the one, with the lover of your soul. When you know that here, then you know what that gives you? It gives you what one fellow named Ignatius once said. It gives you a, a kind of holy indifference to life. Now, not indifference as in, I don't care, but holy indifference, meaning, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? I come immediately into the presence of the lover of my soul. Doesn't sound so bad. So, the challenge, here to here. Next week is going to get a little uncomfortable because we're shifting gears. Uh, we'll be looking at hell next week. And so uh, that'll be our, our exploration next week. Now, throughout the week, if you have questions, don't hesitate to send me an email to drop me a line if you're interested or if you have some questions, and uh, we will go from here. But let me close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to be so heavenly minded that our lives here are transformed. Teach us to live fully now with the end in mind and teach us how to die well. We commit our lives to you every moment that we have is a gift. Help us to live that fully in your presence and in your love and the happiness that you give us through eternal life and in your presence. So we commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.